Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm the executive producer here, John Bates, uh, and I've got a few pre-show notes for you. First of all, I'd like to thank our $25 tier supporters, Antitonic, Cat Waterflame, Samantha Bates, and Maureen Monty, without whom we wouldn't be able to do much, uh, especially not all the content that we put forward now. I also want to thank all the people that have joined on with us since the, I would say, successful uh, experiment that was Midsummer Night's Dream. If you're interested in that, go check out our YouTube channel, where youtube.com slash Sinstaku, where we performed the world's first, as far as we're aware, live stream production of a community theater uh, performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream. That sounds like a lot of qualifiers. It's more just because that's the way I talk. Please go enjoy them, give us feedback, let us know if you'd like to see more of that in the future. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on our Patreon page at patreon.com fsfilms. You can also follow us on Twitter at Final Show Films or follow me personally at John A. Bates for all future updates and live notifications for our live stream. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy. Welcome back to Critical Thinking, the Critical Role Rewatch Podcast. I'm John, your executive producer here and host of the show at John A. Pates on Twitter. And with us today is Jack. Hey everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy. I am at JThomas411Mania on Twitter. And I think you mean, at last we're back. I mean... <laughs> Yes, but I was trying to do this whole weird talk radio thing, and I don't know why, so we're just going to skip right past it. Uh... Last time on Critical Thinking, the Axis powers swarmed into Western Europe. No, that, sorry, that's, that's not working that's at not, all. That's not talk radio, Jack. That's news radio, and that's very different. <laughs> must not make politics joke. Must not make politics joke. Must not take politics. <laughs> and we're already back in our usual form. Well done, everybody. Uh, previously on Critical Role, uh, the Briarwoods got <laughs> fucked. Yep. <laughs> End of story. So and, this episode. And hard. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> This episode, uh, episode, this is Critical Thinking episode 37 on Winter's, on uh, Critical Role episode 36, Winter's Crest in Whitestone, starring Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel, Don Marisha Ray as Caleb, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Travis Willingham as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. In the two weeks before Winter's Crest, Vox Machina helped to rebuild the city of Whitestone. They also take time to sort out the new gear they acquired and they make sure that the ziggurat is secured for the time being. As well as that, they do some other activities, with Scanlan helping out to set up a library and commissioning a painting of himself to hang in Grayskull Keep. Vax also contacts Gilmore to ask for his help with reopening trade to Whitestone. And on the day of Winter's Crest, the party wakes to see that a thin layer of snow is on the ground. Whitestone has been decorated, and a festival is set up in the square. So, before I go any further... <laughs> I was waiting. Here we go. This is this is this is this has been a statement. What three months in in preparation? Making, yep. Of all the regular TV show tropes in existence, and there are many, <laughs> I hate none more, nor with bur- <laughs> nor with more burning a passion than the holiday special. <laughs> You guys, he's been going off on this for literally months at this point. I I went off on this last episode. We had to stop and re-record the episode because I forgot we were an episode of Critical Role behind. <laughs> <laughs> now, sit down, you children, and I will explain why. Isn't that usually how... <laughs> holiday specials kind of start. It is. Yes. And that's yes. one of the reasons why I hate them. <laughs> so, the biggest reason why I hate holiday specials is because they are the visual, audio, and narrative equivalent of bad cotton candy. They leave a bad taste in your mouth, and they don't do anything else. Because ninety nine percent of the time, and that point one, and that 
0.01% of the time that is not the other 99% of the time is the Die Hard series. Um, <laughs> holiday specials are That is just... not a series. That is a film. I am offended. <laughs> It's not all of the Die Hard films, <laughs> collectively in one. The franchise. The franchise. The franchise. The franchise. It's a series of films. Anyways, um, collectively, does that make the first one a holiday special? Yes, it does. And the second one. And the second one. Anyways. And the second one. Um, uh, they, they, they add nothing to the story. They are, they're, they're an inertia break in the middle of a narrative that's, that is just a, hey, that was an intense last couple of episodes. Let's calm everybody down and have a break and remind you that life is good. Which, especially coming off of the Briarwoods and coming off the back of a revolution that just happened, is disingenuous. It's just, it's like, oh, well, the bad guy was beaten, so everything goes back to normal. Everything's happy. Let's have a good time for Christmas. And it's like it's it's an unearned it's an unearned denouement to a dramatic arc, and okay. quite so, often so, they so, are. So, so by your judgment, the the novel A Christmas Carol is the shitty fucked. holiday special <laughs> of Dickensian Europe in the late nineteenth century. Prove That's what me, you're saying. Prove me wrong. <laughs> So no, no, I, I'm not trying to prove you wrong. No, I'm no, just wanting to no, make sure that we've no, got this level yeah, set. So, so, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> and specifically, I only really had the problem in in the in the realm of continual narrative storytelling, where it's a you know it's a it's a where the 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 narrative the momentum of the narrative that has been progressing for the past several episodes just fucking stalls. So I want to ask a clarification about this. Yes, go ahead. Are we speaking specifically, and then a refutation with a couple of episodes, but are we speaking specifically in terms of Christmas episodes, basically, or holidays in general? I find that Christmas episodes are the most egregious, but... There are other holidays where it happens too. I think Christmas specials are the ones that you can find the most examples of. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and it's the, they are certainly the ones that I notice, remember, and hate the most. Uh, but they are not necessarily the only holiday that does it. So I'm going to. Offer... I mean, for me, Christmas is kind of just a bullshit holiday period, and I think it's overestimated in its, you know value to the culture but that's an entirely different that's a a different discussion (laughs) as we say goodbye to half of our viewership um (laughs) christmas halloween rules okay yes exactly um i will say that because it's funny for me i the thing about holidays i cannot stand is holiday music i hate it i absolutely love it it is the same song sung every year by whatever pop artist who's popular um like on the rare times that somebody actually comes up with something new those aren't bad but but generally i can holiday episodes i don't mind and perhaps it's because i think of holiday episodes and i don't think of like the er holiday episode because i'm sure that they had one where nothing important happened but the true meaning of Christmas was discussed or a a lot of sitcom holiday episodes, I think fit into what you're talking about. I think of holiday episodes that were really, really, they were part of the narrative that just happened to theme. And I think probably the clearest example I'm going to give, and we talk about this show all the time on this because I think it's such a good example of playing with tropes is Buffy. The season three Christmas episode, uh, which is called Amends, Mm -hmm. um, very much plays into, it is in every sense of the word, a holiday episode. It takes place during, during the holiday season, there's snow, there's a lot of those kinds of themes, but it still is fit very well within the narrative, and I think that's something that Buffy generally did well. Um, it's also, 
it is also important to the overall significance of the show's narrative in a way that we wouldn't come to realize until what five seasons or four seasons later and that it was the first introduction of 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 the final season's main villain the first people um Mm -hmm. But that I think of episodes like that, or I think of those few episodes of of the sitcom stuff that really worked well. Like um, I think this is actually thanks more Thanksgiving ish, but there is a particular episode of Friends that was uh, the 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 group goes goes out to go to a ski lodge or something like that, and uh, I just remember it as a holiday episode because they end up getting stuck in this in the snow and a bunch of frenzy kind of things happen but it really worked in advancing a lot of the characters particularly Chandler's character who was uh it, it, it sort of really pushed his um sort of conciliatory you know get the attention on me when tension is happening kinds of things um, so I think of and I think of I maybe it's just because I think of the more positive examples, but I've always kind of enjoyed the holiday episode kind of idea, particularly when you get into the non Christmas stuff, like Halloween episodes are almost always great. Um, there are there are a few holiday episodes that I don't mind, and most of them are mm-hmm. Mash, which tells you how far back I've got to go for. Mash is another good example of those. The yeah. big thing that I find that the reason why at least those for me work more is because they maintain the narrative that they have established. Yep. In Mash, exactly. uh-huh. the narrative uh-huh. ma- it maintains. Yes, it's Christmas. We're still in a war, and war is still hell. Look at all these people getting shot and dying on Christmas. Right. But we right. have to find we have to find the holiday spirit somewhere like those. Those I find those I those I don't mind those kind of things. It's it, and it does happen. I, I will I will grant that it does tend to happen more on sitcom shows than a lot of others. Um, uh-huh. But like the one that I think of, I am one of the few people that that considers themselves liberal, uh, a liberal that enjoys NCIS for a variety of reasons. <laughs> I actually do. I actually really. Enjoy, I think it's. I think it's a okay. fun and funny show. Um, right, right. Uh, it, it has it has a lot of writing problems, but I enjoy it as a as a as a, as a show to watch occasionally. But they have some of the more egregious ones, where it's just it'll be one episode. Yeah. One episode. It'll be early. It'll be late summer, and they'll be solving a murder mystery. In the next episode, it's snowing outside, and they've got a Christmas tree. Excuse me, I missed four months somewhere in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you guys. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say another one I'll give you. And it just came to me why specifically I look at Christmas episodes positively. Doctor fucking who. I was getting ready to reference Doctor Who, actually. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, because to me, when you say Christmas special, Doctor Who is the first thing I think of because that's, you know, kind of a kind of a, a core uh, foundational aspect of the Doctor Who mythos is that there's always the Christmas special. What I like about the Doctor Who Christmas specials is that it's it's very in keeping with the motifs and and direct that the show generally goes weird shit is happening it's very aliens out there science woo woo and that sort of thing what i don't like about it is that it is frequently unnecessarily thematic now sometimes they lean into it especially like during the uh during the the sequences in tenants run with donna as the companion where they they were lampshading all of this Christmas shit so hard, especially with certain characters, Donna specifically. Um, and there's some great moments there. But to me, it's like, OK. Th- Doctor Who is the weird one that is sort of balancing on a knife's edge for me, because I am with John in that I don't like when, oh, well, it's coming up on December. We have to stop what we're doing and and have a holiday values mildly preachy frequently type episode 
that halts the actual story that's going on as if, oh, well, when December 12th hits, everybody just stops what they're thinking about and doing and does this holiday thing and we get back to our actual lives sometime, you know, early January. Um, because that's not how characters and humans and people and individuals actually function we don't most of us don't have those switches in our brains and the ones that do tend to end up in debt on death row um and when you have that sort of storytelling halt and there's that jolt that jarring change to the to the narrative yeah i i agree with john that's that's unpleasant it's it's not great for the audience and it sort of just slams on the brakes so you can make a cultural reference and then we get back to it eventually interesting on the other hand interestingly because because you brought it up doctor who is a sort of the the catalyst of the other reason why i don't like uh holiday specials because they're inconsequential Oh, oh. So mm. many times, so many times. Not always, not, not all always, of them, but frequently. But yeah. most of them, a Doctor Who holiday special will come, events will happen, and then they will get forgotten about narratively until the next holiday special. Not all of them. Some of them. But an amount of them. <laughs> some of them. Doctor Who flip flops on that. When's the, last, when's the last time they referenced Space Titanic? after the event i mean as much as they referenced for example uh a uh, uh the the fisher king episode recently but or I the doctor's argue, wife or the which doctor's is one of the wife. best episodes <laughs> right the fact that the TARDIS actually came out and walked around for a little bit yeah. and yeah. then we Boy, sort of forgot the about that was, yeah it was a fine episode i will argue that you know, it, it, uh, if you look at the most recent episode, or the most recent, not even the most recent, just the, the Christmas specials as a whole, yeah, there are some inconsequential ones. And I will actually count Voyage of the Damned in, in there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I will also count... Uh, but not. But Doctor Who is a, seri- is a series where not every episode is consequential. No. A lot of the episodes are Monster of the Week one-offs. That's, that's how the show yeah, runs. And, and, and that, that, that sort of ties back into my own personal preferences of I don't like it mm-hmm. when episodes have just... Right. A thing happened. We're never going to talk about it again. You know? No, like, you're yeah, I mean, like, right there. When was the last time we saw Moaning Myrtle's head in a paving yeah. tile? And like, you know? and, and, I will argue... and, and that, and that, and that, I feel like that just probably has a greater density of that kind of thing occurring in holiday episodes. Mm-hmm. I will yeah. argue as far as Doctor Who goes, okay, yes, you have Void of the Damned, you have Return of Doctor Mysterio. Those don't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, I wasn't a big fan of the Doctor Mysterio. But, um, uh, uh, Husbands of River Song, that's well, it has not been referenced since in a direct fashion. That's one of the most significant episodes of Doctor Who, I think, in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and that also brought uh, what's his name, uh, Narol or Nardol, uh, in. You've got. Uh, Is that where of, he's from? Uh, I yes. genuinely couldn't remember where the hell he came yep. from. <laughs> That's from that one. Uh, there's the 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 end of time, which was um, I think it was Tennant's last appearance, uh, and the and yeah. and the arrival of Matt Smith. They do there tend was... to use they do tend to use their holiday specials as transition points. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which is all the more uh, reason why I think Christmas they should get Carol. referenced more often. They probably should be, but I also, I give Doctor Who a little bit of a pass um, for not hitting on specific episodes quite as much because, well, there are well over, what, what's it up to now? 12, a 1300 lot, episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> But like what I what I mean is like for instance the one that I will give them props for lots of props for the um the Dave, the the first David Tennant holiday special where he actually mm-hmm. turned into David Tennant 
and he went up and he dueled the guys and he got his hand cut off. That hand mm-hmm. came back as a major plot point later on. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That episode had consequences. Not yep. not immediately, not the next five episodes, but, but it, it, did. It, it did have consequences that came back to them. Absolutely. Aside from aside from Donna's grandfather referencing that weird shit happens on Christmas. Voyage of the Damned, no real consequences. Never does. Um, but like, aside from that, you've like got that. okay, Christmas Invasion that you mentioned. Yeah. Runaway Bride, which introduced Donna. Which introduced Donna. Voyage mm-hmm. of the Damned doesn't does doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it, it just absolutely does uh, not as much. Here's some emotional like heart here's some emotional heart twinge. Gone. Yeah. Uh and- next doctor. There's not a lot that is directly referencing continuity, but that was huge for Tennant's character. Yeah. Um, that was huge for, for the Tenth Doctor. End of Time is obviously a huge one. Yeah. Um, all of the, uh, Christmas all of, Carol, not so much. Also, all of the episodes where there are multiple Doctors in them, because in-universe, the Doctor always forgets they happen, so clearly they're... It's like That's one of the ones that like, they've they written themselves reference. into an inconsequential episode. Um, uh, Dr. Widow and Wardrobe, I honestly don't remember much about it, so I'm going to count that as inconsequential. Um, Snowman introduced Clara as Mm -hmm. beyond Snow, uh, Souffle Girl. Uh, Time Mm -hmm. of the Doctor was big. Last Christmas was, was, uh, yeah, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, and then Husbands of River Song. And then the most recent one, Twice Upon the time, uh, time, was huge, not necessarily in a narrative plot, because again, it was a multiple doctor, but it was 12 and 1 together. And from a meta-narrative, the idea of them bringing the first doctor in, played by, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who plays Finch. David Bradley. Potter, yeah. yeah, David Bradley was... Such a huge moment for yeah, for, I, for people who are fans. I, Anyways, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy them. Yeah. But it's just, I know that nothing that I watch in that episode will matter for the rest of the plot, with the sole exception of the Doctor changing doctors. Like, An introduction. I mean, there's stuff that does matter, but I see where mm-hmm. I see yeah. where you're getting at. Um. By the way, D and D. <laughs> so yeah, so so that's <laughs> as we've talked about holiday episodes. <laughs> yes, and, and, and this happens to be one. This is a holiday episode which comes out which comes at the end of the Briarwood arc, and and right. I like I en- I enjoy. So it's it's complicated for me because I enjoy watching these people from a from a viewer perspective. I enjoy watching these people have fun. I absolutely mm-hmm. enjoyed watching this episode. But from a narrative analysis perspective, I hated this episode. <laughs> just because yeah. it was it was such a it was such a halt of momentum. It was, but it was a halt of momentum at the end of a story arc. Which which I think that's makes when it you better. can halt momentum. Yeah, I think I think that right. makes it, that certainly makes it better. And so it, it it's, right. it's it's this is not. This I mean, is, for Christ's sake. The previous episode is literally titled Danama. Yeah, yeah. This does not. <laughs> this does not. You by can any have stretch, a break. This does not, by any stretch of the imagine of, of of the meaning, reach my like top fifty worst holidays right. specials. It's right. just not one right. that I particularly enjoyed. I will argue, by the uh-huh. way, that the ep- the title of last episode was not an accurate title. No, because remember not, not they had to fight Orphax. Yeah, no. <laughs> It was not a terribly accurate title. This is the denouement. Yes. I, I, I feel like it should have been denouement. Yes. Question mark? You know, right, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but but I, I still enjoy this episode for... Yeah. I enjoy watching this episode. It's just that, as you'll find out, there's not a lot to talk about in this episode. No, there is not. Right, yeah. There is legitimately not a but, but this type of episode for me, despite it technically being a holiday special because there's both an out of game and an in game holiday of a similar flavor happening at the same time. To me, this episode feels more along the trope of the day in the life. Yep. Episode 
where you know you're the the main characters that you're used to seeing running around doing crazy shit fighting off major threats taking on huge trials against great odds and attempting to to succeed and overcome mm-hmm. this is what they do when that sort of thing isn't imminent yeah for once they're not fighting for their lives literally right this is right yeah this is this is this is the you know it's just one of those hey guys we're just kind of kicking around having fun both in and out of game this is one of the mash letter home episodes which is important Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. i think in the early days of critical role we got more of this kind of stuff like we would have um the shopping and shipping yeah right and things like that where the party would just sort of fuck around a little bit as we know when as when a story progresses so far on a certain point you can't just you can't just necessarily do that right. as frequently because as your characters are getting more powerful, and this isn't even a D&D thing, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. just a storyline thing. thing yeah. As your characters are getting more powerful, the, the, the stakes have to be getting farther. This is, you know, you don't follow up um, Avengers Age Voltron with Avengers Group Therapy, although you probably should. You follow it up with fucking Infinity War. Thor's fishing. Mm-hmm. Thor's fishing day off is not nearly as interesting. As, no, right. As, but that's the kind of thing yeah. that you could not, not literally <laughs> Thor's fishing day off. But those kinds of lower, lower stakes things are the things that you could get away with in the earlier days of the MCU. Mm-hmm. There's far less fighting for the sake of the universe in the early you know in like iron man one or captain america or even the right. first thor well like yeah because because you know yeah post age of ultron if we're using the mcu parallel right the shawarma scene doesn't really fit anymore no. it was fantastic at the end of the first avengers movie but at this point they're sort of beyond we've 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 moved beyond shawarma I never even had shawarma, so I don't know. What the... <laughs> You're um, missing out. I, 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 I genuinely never had. There's not really. I think there's one place near me that has good shit. Shawarma. Anyway, it's pretty. But, it's pretty. It's pretty but yeah, yeah. It's, these when you have these later on, you have yeah. the problem that I was mentioning earlier, where I was just uh-huh. like, we have momentum, we have momentum, we have momentum. Day in our life. Wait, what? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not uh, un- just un- weeds, un- don't un- try to do that shit. <laughs> right, yeah. Because you have to have uh, an acceptable rhythm. And if you establish from the beginning of your narrative that things happen, but then you get downtime on a frequent basis, then you can do stuff like this as long as the things have already happened. This is not a mid-season episode. This no. is a post or a pre-season episode. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why it's a side note, because certainly we don't do side notes on this show. Um, uh, I have long felt that broadcast television needs to cut down from 24 episodes per season to 13. Yeah. Because, like, Supernatural is the perfect example of this. Oh, God, we're in, uh, in our latest season. We are fighting God's sister. But we're still going to have about 10 of our 24 episodes beside Monster of the Wink thing. Because we need 24 right. episodes. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. Yeah. And, and much like much like my problem with much like my problem with. Uh, holiday specials you get that you run into that problem with these sort of this kind of episode where yep it's just in the middle of a narrative cliff okay move on yep right mm-hmm. yeah. anyways uh the party arrive at the square back in D land uh <laughs> and after a few words with keeper again and disperse to enjoy the festivities Scalen, Keyleth, and Percy visit a street magician who Keyleth believes is an actual sorcerer for a few moments. Uh, which, 
by the way, is one of my favorite tricks, one of my favorite tropes in a fantasy setting, is the street magician who is actually just a magician. Yeah. I love that Mm -hmm. concept. In fact, we had um, uh, this tangent as um, we're going to be going on, because what we do here. Uh, (laughs) That's our our modus operandi, really. Um, It's our gimmick. (laughs) It's our gimmick. (laughs) Uh, our gimmick is lack of focus in the first in the first warcraft game that we recorded as a podcast uh one of our friends uh who sat in for a few sessions actually played a a world of warcraft mage whose family ran a chain of restaurants uh throughout the eastern kingdoms called mcmagic burgers uh and That's he was amazing he was he was michael for, for, he was, for those of you that are not warcraft fans this is actually fairly setting appropriate he yes was, it is he was he was he was uh ralph mcmagic <laughs> and he didn't want to go into the burger business like his family was he wanted to use his magic for good entertaining people on a street corner yes and so he was a traveling street magician who would use prestidigitation to produce signed autograph photos of himself that he would hand out to people. Oh my god. Holy shit, he's Gilderoy Lockhart. And he We was, now need he was we need hanging around. Adult. He was hanging around with a undead assassin. Uh a centaur. Uh a night elf monk. And um, oh, and an elf ranger, and <laughs> just this human wizard a, with the thing. <laughs> we need an ongoing series just looking at him because uh, all I heard while you were saying that was Constantine and World of World of Warcraft. Constantine and World of Warcraft. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, uh. I love so yeah. I I love the I love the idea of a, a street magician who is an actual yep. magician and using their vast cosmic powers to trick people into giving them money. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love it. I love it. The, the McBath. I just like. Is a, is a I like when, and this is one of the reasons I like Eberron so much. I like when the fantasy settings and fantasy games throw in that element of. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that would happen in the real world if it was mm-hmm. a fantasy setting. You know, you would have people like that. It would be, you know, whatever the case is going to be. Oh, I yeah. enjoy that yeah. little bit of, you know, it's side stuff and it, it it's usually played for last, but which which is fair. But those are the nice touches that lend a uh, uh, an era or an air of groundedness to what is otherwise a setting that could easily just float away on its. Like, like having, right. you, you like know that in the if, if wizards actually yeah. existed, there would be a number of well-known spam email cons targeted towards individuals. Of people pretending to actually be wizards, you know, right. yeah, fuck the Nigerian princesses, you know, I there's actually people in the world that can do magic, and I happen to be one of them. Send me some money, and we will get you hit. Would you and like, people would fall for that? Would yeah. you like to have an enlarged spell on your penis? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So anyway, tell me while the other people me, are looking around at the stalls. Tell me, someone has not homebrewed a cock ring of enlargement for their character at some point in the history of D and D. I guarantee wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. Homebrew? You think that hasn't been published in official source books? I don't know. I'd have to go look at my copy of. It's the, been published in official source books, sir. I have to go. I, I guarantee it. I have a copy of that source book. I need to go look and see if it's in there. Uh, I don't remember the name anyway. of it right now. Anyway, <laughs> of course, the casting phrase is Cialis Majoris. 
Jeremy, what's the name of that book? <laughs> I legitimately don't know what the name of that book is. Yeah, it was it's it's got like a succubus on the front of it, and it has like rules for pregnancy in three point five and shit like that. I guarantee that is not Wizards of the Coast, is it? I think it. I don't. I don't know if it is or not. Notice I, how I said I no, guarantee I it... it's not, comma. Is it question is mark? It? I, don't, <laughs> I genuinely don't know who published it, and I don't remember. I just know I have a copy of it somewhere because it's a stupid thing to have a copy of. Um. Okay. So it is called the Book of Erotic Fantasy. That's it. That's the one. That's the it one. It is OGL compliant. It is absolutely okay. not Wizards of the Coast. Good. Good. <laughs> We wanted to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, Gwendolyn F.M. Kestrel, whoever the fuck you are, shame on you. No, that no sounds shame. like the we do not like the most pseudonymy pseudonym that ever pseudonym. <laughs> I know, which is why I did not. I was not afraid to read it out loud on stream. Ah, <laughs> uh, according to the book of erotic fantasy. A typical chaotic character's approach to sex is fuck you, fuck you, no, fuck you all. <laughs> this is an actual book that people paid money for, oh, yeah. gentle listeners. And they also have an interspecies crossbreeding chart. Of course they do. Currently, there are 19 copies used and new from starting at $109.99 on Amazon. Also, sust also, sustaining sex requires a constitution check. I think we just need well, to like change the purpose of this podcast to reviewing the book of erotic fantasy. I think my favorite no. thing about no, the species crossbreeding book is that there are three options. Yes, <laughs> no, or maybe... Like, they couldn't even be definitive in the book about it. Implying that no one's ever tried. I mean, I would assume no one's ever tried to mate a satyr and a bugbear. Oh, wait, you are correct. On. There's actually there's actually a thing here that says... Have you met uh, a satyr? Jesus, the, the two of course species, they have. The two species, if it's maybe, the two species may successfully crossbreed, although the chance of conception is reduced by 30% from the lowest percentage parent. The resultant child will most likely be a half-breed. Also, I, I, I refuse the possible... I, I refuse this... Chart's assertion that ogres and bugbears are only a maybe on breeding, because I guarantee you someone has worked that shit out to a fine art for their slave army. <laughs> or giants and bugbears. So, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the perfect time to talk about the book of erotic fantasy. Get it for your favorite 3.5 D&D player today. Do not. <laughs> Do not get it for your favorite. <laughs> We're great at commercials. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely do not. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so there's a, That's there's a, pretty much the entire, yeah. <laughs> so there's a street magician. Oculus <laughs> believes is an actual sorcerer for a few moments. <laughs> Percy also has his fortune told quite badly by the magician. Uh, we've been at this for 30 minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, we have to. There's not a lot to talk about in this episode. Because nope. <laughs> it's a holiday episode. <laughs> Whilst the others look around the stalls and enjoy the shows, uh... Grog and Scanlan head to the arm wrestling competition. Scanlan is beaten instantly by a farmer named Jaspers, who is later beaten by Grog. A number of matches take place, including pitting the guardswoman Trish against the captured Vedmire, who loses. Uh, eventually, the final round is between Trish and Grog. After an intense match, Grog is beaten, but Trish gives him her prized flask of veil as a sign of respect. Grog acknowledges this and calls Trish a great warrior. After some more festivities, the pipe eating the pie pipe eating pie eating competition is announced. As they prepare, a messenger brings a letter and parcel addressed to Vox Machina from Lilith. And, uh, it's not pipe, pipe eating. Pipe, John. Pipe, pipe eating not competition. Not the book of sex anymore. Pie eating, not pipe eating. We are still not talking about the book of sex anymore. <laughs> That's a different holiday entirely. 
I mean, I would like to. I would like to see these. How you would how you would rule an in-game pipe eating contest? I'll I'll, I'll get you my homebrew uh, rules on that in after the broadcast. Do you think? Uh, do you think uh, lizard folk can hold, who can hold their breath for fifteen minutes have an unfair advantage? Oh God! Move on! Move the fuck on! We are so sorry, listeners. No, we're not. No, we're not at all. We're Eric and Ossie who don't have to breathe. Uh, anyways. This was <laughs> this was the perfect episode to come back on after a long break. <laughs> Phrasing. Ease <laughs> us into the narrative analysis. Phrasing. <laughs> uh, I'd say it's been a rather smooth re-entry. <laughs> we're just taking it easy, you know? Going gentle. <laughs> like a tenacious D song (laughs) (sighs) the package is from Lilith and then there are presents the package is from Lilith uh, says that she has heard oh there's a package in there (laughs) yeah there is has heard of their good deeds by the way we are now we used to record this in the morning we are now recording this at night, and that may have some influence on well, where I these mean, conversations are going. The package contains two stones. Right. Um, uh, uh, Lilith has heard of their good deeds and wants to offer them something to help in their adventures. She mentions that she has reunited with Zara, who also sends her well wishes. The parcel contains a gift from Lilith, two gate stones. Uh, gate stones. Uh, which allows the party to use one to travel to wherever the other stone is. AKA booty call stones. And that's where they yep. had to break. Uh, on hearing of the pie eating competition, Vaxildon and Vexalia sign up and enter to an attempt to enter Trinket. But the referee refuses. Caleb polymorphs Trinket into a looking like a large peasant, and he is entered. Which I approve of because anything to get Trinket more involved in the narrative makes me yes. happy. Especially because it makes Sam unhappy. Yes. (laughs) But, yeah, I love pet characters. Pet characters are a lot of fun. Um, And, but unfortunately, they tend to have a frequency of being glossed over and eventually forgotten. How many horses have most of our groups cycled through before remembering to actually bring them with us on occasion. So yeah, these are I always mean, I name mine and then forget them. You, I mean, <laughs> Harry, has, Harry has a horse who has a name. Yeah, and that horse is also on the other side of the world right now. But he's alive. <laughs> you guys have teleported away from your horses so many times. I mean, and it's not like the... It's not like Western fantasy hasn't had this sort of trope going pretty much since the beginning of modern fantasy. Thank you, yep. Bill the Pony. But, um, yeah. Still. Anyways. Take care of your horses, people. Uh, <clears throat> over the course of the competition, Vaxodon, Vexalia, and the other competitors drop out, leaving only a local peasant and the polymorph trinket. However, despite Vex's encouragements, both finalists fall over from exhaustion and they are declared joint winners. Later on in the day, Keeper Geddon calls for attention to make a speech, which, by the way, I want to clarify that that man that human ate as much as a bear a grown-ass black bear though to be fair the grown-ass black bear was physically a human at the time yes polymorph (laughs) stomach is now human-sized in that case yeah it wasn't an illusion seeming would have been more 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 helpful or something similar except seeming doesn't change whether you're a quadruped or not so that would have been, would have been a, basic, a human basically the D version of <laughs> all of the overwatch characters wearing the doomfist skin i really oh, want I, I really like the idea that seeming doesn't like seeming just stretches a skin over a different model that doesn't necessarily belong right. yeah <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, good. I haven't had any nightmares about that video in a while. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Glad, glad to, glad to bring those back to the surface on occasion. Later on in the day, Keeper Ginnon calls for attention and makes a speech, thanking Vox Machina and applauding the bravery of those who fought in the rebellion. He then takes Vox Machina and Cassandra Rolo quietly aside, and they discuss what is to become of Whitestone. 
Percy proposes that there is a five-person council rule, consisting of Cassandra keeping in and a leader of the farming community, a leader of the citizens, and an economic leader. Uh, he explains that he cannot join as he has too much to do and does not consider himself fit to rule. Like, here, I, li I, I, I liberated you via rebellious acts. Y'all deal with it now. Peace! Which, you know, kind of has, I mean, I would say that Taliesin may have taken some inspiration from historical figures in that sort of move. So I guess Percy there's, is the U.S. Well, not... No. 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 God, no. When has the U.S. ever decided, you know what, maybe we shouldn't be in charge here? I mean, no. publicly. No. Oh. <laughs> Even that, not real no. anyway. No, I'm talking more along the lines of, you know, the there's there's historical anecdotes from Greek and ancient Rome, the the Carthaginian Empire, things like that, where they're like, yes, no, I realize that I just won this war and everybody really likes me a great deal, but I'm not a politician. I'm a general. So unless you want me, you know treating the entire society like it's the army, maybe you should elect somebody who's a little more on the, you know, leadership in the civil setting sort of thing. Well, I'll and, be over here, find me, until you find me another war to fight. Yep. In this case, I think it's also very consistent with Percy's characterization of the fact that he thinks he is a completely... Uh, uh, um, detestable piece of shit. I am a trash mammal. Yes, and to be fair, he did just literally fight off a demon that, with the with the help of his friends that he had willingly made a deal with in order to murder several people, justified or not. So that may have been weighing on him that some in some way. Willingly made a deal with had a dream about that he thought was his own and not actually a demon. You know. Tricked or not, it's still willing. That's what the rules of hell say. Where are the rules of hell written down? Um, in every story that involves a Faustian deal. All hope abandon ye who enter here. Yep. Don't dead open inside. <laughs> <laughs> dead open why yes, that's, that's that, that has nothing to do with hell that was just a random pop culture meme reference i'm sorry you don't think the inside of a hospital filled with zombies is hell not in the faustian pact way <laughs> uh, uh, we're goofy tonight uh tonight Period. <laughs> Percy gives Cassandra one of the gate stones in case of an emergency and wishes her well. Vox Machina rejoined the festival and Vex pulls Vax aside to talk. She says that he seems off and that she noticed that Keyleth was avoiding him. Vax tells her that he will talk about it in time and assures her that he will always be there for her. They hug and Vex gives him a present. It is his serpent belt, which he lost in the palace of Iman. Elsewhere, Keyleth takes Percy to the nearby fields and tells him about how she, uh, how she was walking in the fields a few days ago and found a dead raven. She explains that it reminded her of everything that had happened and how Percy nearly gave into the demon inside of him. And also, wow, the foreshadowing. Yep. <laughs> oh, God, that, that made my head spin. Hang on. <laughs> yep. I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> we can't talk about that yet. <laughs> no, we cannot. <laughs> no, we cannot. In so many ways, there's like so much foreshadowing in this little sequence. That said. Completely holy inadvertent. Sh holy shit. That said, this honestly, this kind of stuff is what I actually do like about holiday episodes when they are done well. Holiday episodes... Mm -hmm. Because for many people, I, well, I will, instead of saying for many people, I will say thematically, when done well in narrative, the holidays are a time for reflection. 
And the real, the best episodes of the holidays, uh, of holiday anything, generally, are for for ongoing narratives storylines, are when that season, you know, that show uses the holiday as a time for the characters to for the characters to have personal depth and growth, as opposed mm-hmm. to like like I said, the ER episode. Where you know, so somebody's a grouch or somebody's a Grinch, and blah blah blah, and then somebody comes in who teaches them the true meaning of Christmas. That is, as 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 John has said, is completely forgotten by by the next episode, much less the next year. Um, so moments like this, I think, where this and and. The, the scene with, with Vex and Vax and, and, and so on and so forth are the scenes that really make an episode like this feel less of the, like the irritating kind of a holiday episode because they do take the time. They're like, hey, we don't have a four-hour combat to run. Let's actually talk about our feelings and who we are. And even if we're brushing it aside like Vax does, there's still moments where you see that sort of peek out. And that's what I really appreciated about this one. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm still recovering from that foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> wow. I forgot Take a about breath. That. Take a drink. <laughs> Ah, she explains that it reminded her of everything that happened and how Percy nearly gave into the demon inside of him, and she gives him the raven's skull, cleaned and polished, and says it's a reminder of what Percy or any of them could have become if they gave in to darkness. Percy thanks her, and they return to the festival. The festivities go on long into the night, and Vox Machina are swept away into a joyful atmosphere, and that is literally the end of the episode. Yep. Which is another thing I like, is that th- their, this group's history with Winter's Crest was referenced before now as this big, like, danger, you know, the, the, the whole thing with a dragon and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember all the details. It's something about a dragon and frozen people and, 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 and so on. And so I remember when this episode aired, there was a lot of anticipation of, like, what kind of, what kind of, thing was going to come at them, which is something that a lot of genre stuff can do. It's holiday, it's time for a holiday-themed monster. Right. And so, the fact that there wasn't one was a nice little subversion of that idea by Matt that I appreciated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack, you want to talk about how re- how revolutions end, I think. Yeah, so, because this is sort of the <laughs> aftermath, um, because a lot of times, especially in narrative, it's very e- easy and interesting to make the revolution the narrative. Um, you know, you have things like the Hunger Games and any number of other uh, types of, of adventure action type stories where the idea is you have a problematic power structure you have an underprivileged protagonist. These two parties come into conflict. There is an overturning of the status quo. And, you know, the, the rebels emerge triumphant. And that's a very sort of uh, impactful, resonant type of narrative, especially for cultures where those sort of values are frequently extolled and, and given given a lot of uh, a lot of preeminence. Uh the United States loves to pride itself as, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, independent thinking freedom fighters who are always there on the side of the little guy. <clears throat> Not always. Uh, and that, you know, but but we love that sort of underdog triumphing over a conglomerate of corruption type story. In my mind, and I take a fairly, I've slowly come to the realization that I really enjoy a simulationist type narrative, especially for my tabletop RPGs, especially if you've been tracking any of my planned uh, ones that I'm going to be running here in the. But you don't. The say idea then comes Nicholas to me. Cage uh, face. Hardy. Um. <laughs> 
what happens in the aftermath. And a lot of narratives sort of just stop after the revolution and a much nicer society takes the place of whatever horrific sort of a dystopian issue was was prompting the whole revolution in the first place. Not easy to do um, and definitely requires a lot of consideration, especially if you're going to carry on your story beyond that, which Matt is going to be doing. And yeah. granted, this is a fairly small scale. This is a this is a a a single small city sized revolution. This is not something that's happening on a on a kingdom wide or a or a worldwide scale. Can you hear so the people sing singing the songs of angry men. Yes. Um and so with that sort of thing in place, I I really like that Talison takes Percy's character who and Percy is a very thoughtful, tactical, thinking man, strategic sort of character and immediately starts considering, all right, what has to happen next? Mm -hmm. Because in the aftermath of the revolution, it is just as easy that something worse takes the place of the previous government than something better. Um, Interventionism. Right. Yes. At its finest. Um, and so considering the consequences of that, I like that Matt is already starting to himself lay the groundwork and that the players are catching on to this and following along with that sort of narrative leading moment to say, all right, so we've swept the the room clean of the problems that we have. What do we put in place now to ensure that we have secured a safe and prosperous society for these people that we've liberated because nature abhors a vacuum and politics even more so. Um, and seeing that sort of thought put into to this type of narrative, it's very reminiscent of some of the other stories that I've really liked. Babylon 5 is immediately what comes to mind. Um but the idea of the fact that none of these none of these narratives exist in a vacuum or in isolation there are other forces constantly at work and the only way you secure a lasting peace is if you have devoted individuals who are focusing on that as an objective and working very hard to maintain that sort of status that being said, and I feel like they're doing good at laying some groundwork here. Yep. That being said, if you are a GM that does like that kind of thing, don't assume your players are going to like that kind of thing. This uh, is true. So always have a backup NPC that can do that for you to be happy, because not everyone that plays D anD D is civically minded in that particular way. Well, and but that would be my follow up to this: is that. If you don't have civically minded players who are like, hey, you know, we've overthrown the tyrannical government, but now we want to go off and do other things. Let your society devolve into a chaos like atmosphere that is becoming dominated by warring factions, most of whom are probably unpleasant warlordy type people, because that also gives your characters another conflict to come back to. It, in, it, it, it instigates another threat that they can then throw themselves up against and attempt to combat and stabilize you know you don't have to let everybody live happily ever after because happily ever after is kind of a narrative cul-de-sac no i will call i would still caution um there is a way to do that that is very interesting and compelling there's also Uh a way to do that that is very ha gotcha you didn't think about this and that one is not fun no gotcha gotcha gming is not good gming no no Opportunity GMing is, I think, what you would what you would be wanting to aim for more. Yeah. In that, okay, yes, you you overthrew the 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 horrific conglomerate. Now there's a whole bunch of smaller bits that are dynamic and grinding against each other and making life kind of miserable for the the genuine rank and file of the the main population. 
do you want to help them? Do you want to join them? Do you want to take one of those over and see what you can build it into? It's a new scenario. Some of the problems are still fairly extant. But yeah, it's a great place for your characters to take initiative if if that's what they're interested in. Or it can just be, and now we have the Wild West. Yay! Alright, so that's the end of Winter's Crest in Whitestone. Do either one of you have anything else you want to add? Um... Nope. Nah, I think we're pretty good there. All right, we'll be back next week, asterisk. Um... (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back next time. Next time uh, with episode 37, A Musician's Nostalgia. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody! Goodbye.